Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. Here's Pastor Willie Taylor. In Mark, first chapter, verse 35, let's start there. Now you remember this after Jesus had gone into Peter's home and healed his mother-in-law. Also, people were coming to him and he was healing all various diseases and casting out demons and things of that nature. Let's pick it up right there at verse 35. In the early morning, while it was still dark, what time is that now, approximately, while it's still dark? About 5-ish, 5.30-ish, something like that. I think this morning was around 5.25, and it was already kind of light outside. Uh, so regardless of what time it was, it was still dark, still dark. Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. What are some of the things that Jesus did? Well, we talked about some of the things in chapter 1, but this is one thing today. Jesus prayed. The servant prayed. And I believe that God is calling us to pray also. There are a lot of different verses that tells us that. One tells us that his house is called a house of prayer. So our individual temples should be a house of prayer. The place where we worship should be a house of prayer. Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed. And you wonder, why did he, he do that? Well, one thing is that you will see periodically in, in, in the scripture, it be revealed that when he did great miracles, when he did things, Jesus needed to go refresh himself, needed to go pray. I think that sometimes we forget to ask for thanksgiving. We forget to go to the person who made it all possible for us to do what we did, regardless of what it, what it is. What, just going to work is something to do. Going to work and doing a great job is something to do. Being a light, being a living epistle is something to do in the workplaces. God wants us to come back to him and wants us to refresh ourselves in him and say, thank you, Jesus. I really appreciate all that you did. If it were not for you, I wouldn't have been able to get up this morning. If it weren't for you, I wouldn't have been able to go to work this morning. If it weren't for you, I wouldn't have been able to be a living epistle at work this morning. If it weren't for you, I wouldn't have been able to hold my tongue when uh, this happened at work today. All these things God is saying to us that we need to be people of prayer. Then it says that Simon and his companions searched for him. So that means that they got up later on and they went to search for him. And it says in verse 37, they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. Now, you know that they are looking for him because of the miracles that he already uh, did the previous day. They are telling their friends, they are getting up early that morning. They are coming looking for him because they want him to heal their relatives, heal their friends, wants them to deliver them from uh, the oppression of the enemy. And he said, 
let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. Let's go to Luke 4. Let's go there and pick up just a little bit. I want to amplify that a little bit, that verse there. In Luke chapter 4, verse 42 is the same occasion. Same occasion, and it says here that when day came, Jesus left and went to a secluded place, and the crowds were searching for him and came to him and tried to keep him from going away from them. They wanted Jesus to stay there. They camp out right there. You stay here. You don't go anywhere. We want you because you have what we need. Don't go anywhere else. We want you here. But he said in verse 43, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also. For I was sent for this purpose. I was sent for this purpose. Now, let's camp out here a little, little bit. He says that he was sent for this purpose to preach the kingdom of God to other, other cities. What are we sent for? If we are sent. Do you believe that we are sent? Where is that recorded? Let's look at it in John, the Gospel of John, 17, chapter 17, verse 17. I believe that Jesus is calling us to something here, to do something, just like he was called to do something. And it says in verse 17, sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. Verse 18, as you sent me into the world, now, what was he sent to do? What was one of the things he said he was sent to do? To preach the kingdom of God. That's what he was sent to do. We know he was also um, to glorify God in everything he said and did. He says, I also have sent them into the world. So he's talking about his, his disciples. For their sakes I sanctify myself that they themselves also may be sanctified in the truth. I do not ask on, on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word. So now he's saying that no, no matter whether I'm sending them, they're going to preach the word. And so whoever hears the word, word and believe on the word that they give, I'm praying on their behalf too. I'm asking on their behalf too. So that includes us. It includes us. And then in verse 21, it says that they all may be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, you in me, they, that they may be perfect, in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. I believe that God wants oneness. From the word, what do you believe? God wants oneness, sure. I believe that he wants 
people to see him when they see us. Just like when he said, when you have seen me, you have seen the Father. I believe he wants that oneness. That the Spirit of God is in us, he is in us, he is in, in God. We're all in God, we're all together. Another scripture will say that our life is hid with Christ in God. That oneness. I believe as we have that oneness to the degree that he wants that oneness to be, I believe that the world is going to see, going to know that Jesus was sent because we represent him. I believe that that's one of the keys to doing the works of God. I really believe that. Let's look at it in another place, Matthew 8. Let's go there. And in Matthew 8, Jesus was a person of prayer. The servant prayed. He prayed. It's one of the things he did. It says in verse 14, this is the same account that we started in with Mark 135. When Jesus came into Peter's home, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick in the bed with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she got up and waited on him. When evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were ill. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. He said he fulfilled the word. He, he fulfilled Isaiah the prophet. This is done to the same, same occasion. I'm doing these things, he's saying, because I'm fulfilling the word which is spoken through Isaiah the prophet. Now, when we think about that word, there's another word in Isaiah 53 also. It says that uh, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Chest time our peace upon him. With his stripes, we are healed. And I don't think we have much problems believing that he took our infirmities and he bore our diseases if we think of it on the same light as his wounded for our transgressions, his bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him with his stripes we were healed. Because we believe that salvation is what God wants for all people. It's his will for all to come into the knowledge, knowledge of the truth and be saved. Is that correct? Why don't we have problems then believing it if it's written in Isaiah the prophet? And it's Old Testament, it's not New Testament. Why don't we have problems believing it? Why don't we have problems that when, when, when a person said, well, what must I do to be saved? Why don't we say, well, oh, that, that's the Old Testament, you know. I don't know whether God is, is, is his will for you to be saved. Why don't we say it? Why don't we say that? We are so happy when somebody asks us that, aren't we? And we say, oh, my, my goodness, I'm glad you asked that. Let me lead you to the Lord. And, you say, well, and they might say, well, 
how do you know, how do you know if I say that, if I uh, confess my sins and repent, how do you know if I uh, believe that Jesus Christ is the one who sent for God, that he died for our sins, he rose again from the dead, he's alive, seated at the right hand of the Father, and he paid for our sins, and the perpetuation of our sins now is, is, is has been done because of Jesus, how do you know I'm going to be really be saved? How do you know he's going to accept me? I've done some bad things. What would you tell him? Oh, don't you worry. He's, he paid the price for it. He wants you to say, all you have to do is, is, is do that. You give your life to Jesus Christ, and you are saved. You don't have to worry about it. I guarantee you, you'll save. The word says it right here. Romans 10, 9 and 10, right? The word says it. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It says it. Why don't we say the same thing when it comes to healing? Why don't we say the same thing? He said, and if you look back in Isaiah, it's in the same place as, as Isaiah 53, the other one. It's right there, right beside it. He said, this is fulfilled, which is spoken through Isaiah the prophet. Why don't we say it? People say, well, you know, I'm sick. Well, I don't know. I don't know whether, you know, sometimes you just, well, I can tell you one thing, that you are healed because on that day, you don't have to worry about it when you get to heaven. You say, do you tell them that when when they ask for salvation? You know they're not going to get to heaven, don't you? If If they don't accept Jesus Christ here, why don't we say, hey, God wants you healed. I guarantee God wants you healed. Let me show you what it is right here in the Bible. Why don't we say that? Jesus knew something that we didn't know. He really did. He prayed to the Father. He knew the Father's will. You remember in Colossians 1, we said that we want to uh, be filled with the knowledge of his will. That's Isaiah. I mean, that's, uh, that's in Colossians 1, 9. We want to be filled with his will. We want to know what his will is on every situation. Let's go back to Mark. Let's go to chapter 2. And what I want to do also is, I think we need to stay in attitudes of prayer periodically. Uh, We need to stay in attitudes of prayer because sometimes he said, uh, this kind comes out not but by fasting and praying. And Jesus did not go away and go pray at that time. He was coming down from the mountain. He did not do that. He stayed in an attitude of prayer. Stayed in it. And we need to also, sometimes we need to come together corporately to pray. This is a flight that was given me. It's called Call to Fall. And basically it's, it's a, a yearly thing that's done Usually the last Sunday of June, because it's just before the 4th of July, uh, when everybody's going to celebrate the 4th of July, Independence Day, people who join together want to take an opportunity to fall on our knees to repent for where, I guess, the, the state that America is in and how we want to try to get back to a place where we are a nation that really God is the God of the United States of America. We don't want 
uh, that keep on getting worse and worse and worse with all the kind of things that's, that's, being, that's, being, that's being done in America. So call to fall is an opportunity for us to come to repent as a, as a uh, church body on behalf of the nation of the United States. It's an opportunity to come together uh, to uh, pray for the, uh, the, the, the souls that are, that are innocent blood is being lost. Uh, the, the, the way that the country is trying to take us into Sodom and Gomorrah, take us back to the United States, and that, uh, uh, obviously we don't want to be there. It's an opportunity to pray as a body. That's all it is. Just like any other day, it's a day that nationally we can do things. And that's what it is. So what I would like to do is to invite the body to come to pray on next Sunday morning from 9 to 10 uh, to pray, first of all, to repent for ourselves and for America and, and just to pray for America. We need to pray for our leaders in America. We need to pray for the President of the United States, President uh, Barack Obama. We need to pray for uh, uh, the, the Vice President Vice President Joe Biden. We need to pray for all of our legislators. We need to pray for, for, the, for the Senate and Congress. We need to pray, pray, pray. You don't need to talk about them. You need to pray. You need to pray. God will do all that he can do if we'll do all that he tells us to do. He's waiting on us. And in Second Chronicles, you know the scriptures, 714, if my people will call by my name, will humble themselves and pray, turn from their wicked ways, then he will do what? He will hear from heaven, forgive our sins. He will heal our land. So from 9 to 10, um, I didn't ask you about that, Lord. Is that okay to do that? <laughs> okay, all right. Okay. Lord, Lord, and, Lord they'll lead us in, in that from 9 to 10 next Sunday morning. That's, that's a good way to go into the 4th of July for our independence. Um, we want to stay independent from the world system and dependent upon God. That's what we want to do. Let's go to Mark chapter 2. Oh, let me ask you something. Is it ever recorded that Jesus prayed all night? What do you think? Yeah, he, he prayed all night. When did he pray all night? One time he prayed all night was when, before he chose the 12 disciples, the apostles, he, he prayed all night. It's, it's important to know that your servant, our Lord Jesus Christ, prayed. He prayed. He was willing to lose some sleep to pray. Because he was, he was concerned about doing the Father's will. And if you were concerned about doing the Father's will, we know we need, we need the Father. We need the Spirit of God. We need Jesus Christ to help us to do what he's called us to do. If we could do it without him, then we'll be, we wouldn't need him to die for us. But we need him. We need to be strengthened by him. So we need to do that. And we do have people who like to pray all Well, I don't know where they like to pray all night, but they'll pray all night. And that's good. That's good. In Mark chapter 2, let's go there. The servant healed. The servant 
prayed, the servant healed. Now here we have a situation where it says, now when he had come back to Capernaum several days after, afterwards, it was heard that he was at home. He was, it heard that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no longer room. Not even near the door. No room. And he was speaking the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed a roof above him. Don't think of the A-frame roofs like we have. Think of the flat top roofs where they go, you can go up from the outside of the house, go to the roof, and don't think of the, all the intricate work that's done in our roofs. Think of uh, their roof there is a, where you can take it apart with your hands. And they made some room there, and it says that, and when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their faith, whose faith was he seeing? Who's the theirs? The four men. The four men. Now let me ask you, because we are, we are looking at the scripture here, and so uh, we're not just want to just read through the thing. We want to actually know the will of the God. We want to uh, increase in our knowledge of God. So it seems to me here that we can learn something. How much faith do we have in, 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 in Jesus Christ, the word of God, which tells us that he took our infirmities, he bore our diseases. How much faith do we have in that to bring a friend? Do we have anybody that we consider a friend enough to be that serious about taking them to Jesus? They were serious. They were serious enough that they would tear a hole in the roof and let their friend down because they couldn't get him in in any other way. Nobody would let, let the man through the door. You know, you can say, excuse me, hey, I need to get, I mean, I need to get him on the, before Jesus. And you know what that other people are saying. What are you talking about? Everybody's here to see Jesus. Everybody want to get back. You better get back. Don't, don't come into me. You know, they, they were saying stuff like that because, hey, you, you know how it is, right? You know how it is when you're in a restaurant. On... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was before you were saved, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know whether we really have that type of friend that we're going to do that for. Because you're risking a lot. Because you know you're going to have to repair the man's house later. Yeah. They thought a lot of their friend. Jesus did not say, I see the faith of this, this paralytic. No. The paralytic is lying there, man. He, he just, he, he just, I don't know what he's thinking. 
You know, really, your imagination is as good as mine. You know, I don't know what he's thinking. He, he might be saying, hey, man, don't you drop me. Hey, you, you know, because uh, that's what I'll be thinking. And I wonder, did they have ropes or something to let the, on the four corners? Have you ever thought about that? How you let somebody from a roof down, uh, you know, to Jesus, to the feet of Jesus, without ropes? Maybe they were going to just, you know, okay, one, two, three, psh, drop him, you know? I don't know. What, what do you think? <laughs> what do you think? I have no clue. It didn't say. It didn't say. But I think about those things like that. I, you know, I just, when I'm reading, I just think about those things. I said, that's weird, you know? I don't know. But then he says, son, your sins are forgiven. And this is the first time, you know, we, this is recorded. This is a, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, he just said, and seeing their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Wow. Hmm. That's interesting. Let's hold our place right there. Uh, and if you're on the screen, it'll, it'll come back. John, let's go to John chapter 9, verse 1, the gospel of John. Let's see some of the, the way they were thinking in that day. Because the way we're thinking, the way they're thinking, two different things. Now, in, in the Gospel of John, chapter 9, verse 1, it says, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him a question. Now, this is a weird question, and I don't think we have ever asked anybody that question. We've never asked that question, I don't believe. Rabbi, who sinned? This man, who's blind from birth, or his parents? That he would be born blind. That's kind of an interesting question. If the man is born from, from, blind from birth, how would he, why would you even ask the question, who sinned, this man? How this man going to sin if he was blind from birth? You know, have you ever thought about that when you were reading this? I know you read it. Have you ever thought about that? That's a weird question. Let's see sin in the womb. You know nobody's sin in the womb. You know what I mean? You know, then, then, you can be, you know, of course, if you're born, you're, you're born of Adam, so, you, you know, of course, you're a sinner. But it was a weird question. But this is the way you're thinking. And this is what Jesus said. It was neither that this man sinned. Now, see, I don't understand that either. Because why would he even say that? Why didn't he say, well, how can this man sin from birth? I believe, oh, why you ask this silly question? He didn't say that to him. He just said, neither this man. That was interesting. And he also said, nor his parents. Now, he could have said, look, what is your problem? It doesn't have anything, his, his blindness doesn't have anything to do, well, healing, doesn't, it doesn't have anything to do with sin. What is your problem? Where y'all get this theology from? The Pharisees? He could have he said, he said that. He could have corrected them, couldn't he? If he wanted to. But he didn't. He said, he said, no, neither this man sinned, 
nor his parents sin, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So we, we, we know that and, and we, we are very aware of that and everybody repeat that, but it says that neither one sins. So that means that in that day, their thought pattern was if somebody is blind, if somebody is sick, there is sin somewhere because you're not supposed to be blind, you're not supposed to be sick, you're not supposed to be crippled. If some sin somewhere, who sin? That's the thought pattern. So now let's go back to over here to Mark. Now we see something and we can put a little bit more wisdom on this thing because it says, and seeing their faith, he said to a paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, he could have said stranger. He could have said foolish man. He could have said a lot of things, couldn't he? But he said son. And that, isn't that so compassionate of Jesus? He was compassionate. He's already uh, putting him with his words in a comfortable position to say, Son, son, your sins are forgiven. He's calling him a son already. Your sins are forgiven. Now, you know that we're thinking here, well, how can you do that? That's what the Pharisees are thinking. Because it said in verse 6, but some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak that way? He's blaspheming who can forgive sins but God alone. That's what, that's what they're thinking. And they're thinking correctly, aren't they? They're thinking correctly. They know nobody can forgive sins but God. But Jesus is making a statement, isn't he? He's telling them who he is, isn't he? He's telling them who he is. Rightfully so. No human being. You're not going to forgive our sins because you just think. You can forgive a sin for somebody. All of us can forgive somebody's sin if they sin against us. Is that right? If they offend us, we can say, I forgive you. Can we? And it will be scriptural. Is that correct? How often should we forgive somebody? Seven times? Seven times 70, right? So we're going to forgive somebody every time they ask for forgiveness. So you're thinking here, and I'm thinking, okay, now he says, son, your sins are forgiven you. This man did not offend Jesus, Jesus Christ, did he? Or did he? Not as, a, not as a human being, no. But if he's God, think about now, if Jesus Christ is God, which he's God, then when, you are, when you're separated from the Father, because Adam sinned, when you do anything wrong, break the law, which they were under the law at that time, then you're a sinner, aren't you? Sin is missing the mark. Do you, do you follow me? 
He's letting them know, I am who I said I am. I am God. But then it says right here in verse 8, immediately Jesus aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves. Do you know what I'm thinking about now? No. I don't know what you're thinking about now. Jesus knew what they were thinking in their hearts. So again, that's another, should be a sign for them. He is who he said he is. Who would know what I'm thinking in my heart? I didn't say anything out loud. I didn't talk to the the man right beside me. I didn't say anything. Jesus is God. He truly is God. But see, they didn't want to believe. And you'll face people like that. They don't want to believe in Jesus Christ. They don't want to. They can't believe in Jesus Christ unless the Father draws them. Because it says in another place in John, it says that no one can come to me, speaking of Jesus speaking, unless the Father draws him. So we know that the Father has to, has to take the blinders off people's eyes because they can't believe in Jesus. They can't ask for forgiveness. They can't do anything unless God draws them. Now we're back to prayer. Something's not going to happen unless we pray. We have to pray people into the kingdom because they cannot of their own accord just say, hey, they woke up today, oh, I think I'll believe in Jesus Christ because, you know, uh, I'm getting kind of sick and I might die tomorrow, so I better accept Jesus Christ now for fire insurance. You see? You can't do that. You can't do it. So that's why I said today is the day of salvation. It's best that if you, in another, it's best if you accept Jesus Christ today if God is drawing you. And we'll know when God is drawing you because your heart will be soft and tender for the Lord. There's so many scriptures that helps us in, in, that, in that way to do that. But let's go back to, son, your, your sins are forgiven. Why are you reasoning your hearts about these things, it says in verse 8? Why are you doing that? Verse 9, which is easier? Which is easier to say to the paralytic? He's asking the scribes this. Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. Which is easiest, easiest to say? Really, just speaking-wise, word-wise, it's not, it's not any more harder to say either one of them, is it? With, with our words. We can say either one of them. For God, which is the easier? To say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, pick up your pallet and walk. Either one, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. 
Now, suppose we go, we, we're thinking about Mark 1. Suppose Jesus knew that this man's affliction was due to sin. And he wanted to deal with the root cause. Because I deal with the root cause, then the symptoms would take care of itself. Then my outward manifestations would take care of itself. Suppose he's doing that. See, we, we don't know exactly all what he was doing, but we know all these things here came into play because he was trying to say something. And then it tells us here, later on in the verse, verses here it says, but so that you may know that the Son of Man, that's what he calls himself most of the time here, the Son of Man has authority, in the King James might say power, which is exousia, which is authority, on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, go home. Now, let me ask you another question. If he was doing this so that they would know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins on the earth, if, if, if he was doing it for that, that reason, that's what it says here. How would they know, and if we were there, how would we know that his sins were forgiven? How we know that? See, if, if your scribe sitting there and say, no man on earth has this, this ability to forgive sins. And he says, oh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm God. I'm God. Your sins are forgiven you. There's plenty of people claim to be somebody, don't they? Many people say they're the Christ. Many people might say they're the Messiah. Many people might say a lot of different things. There are a lot of crazy people doing that time too. Don't you know that? I'm serious. And they'll say anything. So how do, how, how do you think they would know that your sins are forgiven you? They wouldn't, would they? Unless they have some proof. And you remember back in, in John, they asked the question, who sinned? So now... If they, if they thought like that, then they would know, hey, if he's healed, you know, because he said his sins are forgiven, then he's going to be, he'll get up and walk. Because had Jesus already forgiven the sin? Yes, he said way back over in verse 5, son, your sins are forgiven. If he, he didn't say, we'll be forgiven, he said, your sins are forgiven. So at that moment, his sins were forgiven. But he hadn't gotten up yet, had he? But then he says, so that you know that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins on the earth, I said to you, paralytic, get up and walk. He got up and walked. And let's just read a little bit further. Another strange thing. And he got up and immediately picked up his pallet. He didn't have to wobble around, 
you know, because he was paralyzed. He, he got, he was healthy. He was well. He was everything. And went out in the sight of everyone so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Now, did he go right back up that hole he came out of? What do you think? No. How could he go anywhere else? He couldn't get in because they were all around the door. They wouldn't let him in. So they had to tear the roof, a hole in the roof to get him down. So how was they going to get out now? They're still pressing. Probably more so now because he got healed. Here's a paralytic. Got up and rolled up his pallet, walking. You know, you know they're going to be jam-packed when they want to reach and touch him. How did he get out? You know, your, your imagination, your, he's a, when somebody's amazed, here's a man that was let down, and you see him let down, and you whistle back, hey, hey, the man, they tore the roof down. They let him down. They let a man down. He got healed. Everybody, woo, outside. Woo, and hey, let us in, let us in. And then here he comes. He's coming our way. I guarantee you they'll step out of the way. Is, is, I mean, is he real? I mean, you know? They let it, let it, oh, Allie, right on through. Right on through. Get out of the way. Man, this is awesome. Reading stuff. I said, whoo, that's good, God, good. Good. Don't y'all like to read the Bible like that? It's called reading the Bible for all it's worth. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you, you know, you got to put yourself in the thing. You got to, you got to, wow. Yeah. Let's look in, in verse 18. Let's go there. Chapter 2, verse 18. John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And they came and said to him, why do you, why, why, why do John's disciples and the Pharisees, the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples, they do not fast? They're always trying to accuse them of doing something. And Jesus said to them, while the bridegroom is with them, the attendants of the bridegroom, they cannot fast, can they? It's a happy occasion, in other words. So long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. It's a wedding, come on. But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. Then he says something interesting. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Now, that's, that's obvious in, in this rendering. In another one, you might have to do the research a little bit. But an unshrunk cloth means that if you wash that, if you sew it in that garment that's already old, and that, that, gar- that, that patch shrinks, it's going to make a tear in the garment. And it says here, otherwise the patch pulls away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear results. Then he gives another example, the same scenario. No one puts new wine into an old wine skin. Why don't you? Because the old wine skin, it cannot stretch any longer, and you put new wine into it, and it's, you're talking about fermentation, you're talking about um, you know, spreading out a little bit. It's no room for old garment to spread out. 
All it's going to do is burst. And it says, likewise, the wine will burst the skins. Likewise, meaning the same way that patch, when you wash that garment, it's going to shrink and you're going to have a tear in it. Likewise, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is lost and the skin as well. You lost both of them because the wine is going to spill on the, on the ground. So you're not going to have anything. But one puts new wine into fresh wine skins. And if you want a garment so you're going to put an old patch onto an old garment. You're not going to put it into a new patch onto a new garment. Now, he was saying that because all this comes into play because you have the scribes, you have the Pharisees here. They're always trying to catch them into something. They are under the law. They always want somebody to be under law with them. And that's why they're asking the question, why don't you all fast? Why don't your disciples fast? Man, the Pharisees' disciples fast. Everybody fasts except yours. Not, they're not fasting. Don't you all believe in the law? Won't you do what the, 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 the traditions are of the elders? No. He's saying you can't put this new wine that I'm bringing into old wine skin. We got to get rid of this law. Meaning that we're no, under, no longer under law, but I'm bringing in grace to you. That's what the, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ is, a gospel of grace. You cannot earn, you can't be good enough. You can't be good enough to be saved. You can try all you want to, but you'll never be good enough to be saved. Only one is good, is God. You can't be bad enough that you can't be saved either. I don't care how bad you were. You can be as bad as I used to be. But you still can be saved. Yeah. Still being saved. I like to liken this to how I used to be, because I used to be um, very legalistic. And you would never know it. But, um, <laughs> but, um, Way back when our, our church was on Lagos Road, back in the 80s, back around 88, somewhere in the 87, 88, 89, somewhere in that neighborhood, uh, they, we were over in this, this the school building, what used to be a school uh, on Lagos Road, and the person wanted to bring in this new stuff coming in, uh, pool table. Um, fix up a room with a car coming out of the wall. You know, um, bring, bring in all these unsaved teenagers on our property, smoking and dropping cigarette butts that we had to clean up, you know. And I said, man, this is crazy, sitting booze out in the, in the lobby that uh, people, sometimes I used to see a man sit out there and the service is going on, they're sitting out there talking. And I said, man, they're dishonoring God, man, they ought to stay home, they ought to get saved, you know. Um, I, was, I was really a pool table in the church. Can you believe it? And I'm talking, talking to God, man, it, you know, the world is going to pot bad. I mean, bad, you know. Because you associate pool with the, with the pool halls and gambling and, and smoke-filled atmosphere and cursing and all that stuff. And bringing that pool table in the church, that's how I used to be. And I'm so glad that God delivered me 
and, and told me, you know, that you are old wine. You know? You're old skin, and you are old garment, and I can't sow new on you. I can't put new wine in you because you won't receive it. And that, that's bad news, you know, because a pool table have never, never uh, caused anybody to sin and go to hell on itself. A pool table just sitting there. I mean, that's all sitting there. It, do, it didn't do a thing. It's the people who make things bad, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That's where I used to be. And I, I used to be really, really bad. I gave I gave pastors you know bad I mean they they had bad vibes when they when they when I came around I'm serious and I'm so glad that God delivered me He really did He helped me He helped me a lot Then I ran into a young man who uh, this 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 ministry was called Straight Street that was the ministry was called and uh, I met a young man that was was one of the Teenagers back in those days who came to Straight Street. And he told me, Oh man, boy, I was so, man, we used to go to Straight, Straight Street, you know, man, that was such a great ministry, you know. I didn't tell him that, man, I used to speak against that thing, man, pray against that thing. <laughs> he said, Man, it was getting us off the street, you know. Uh, but uh, I was feeling so bad. So bad. Yeah. How I used to be. But you know, you can be that way. In the church today, we can be that way and, and, and don't want to God usher in anything that's different from what you grew up with, how you believe it to be, and you'll be the same way. You'll be the same way. And He can't put new wine in you because you're old skin. He wants us to stay new wine skin. He wants to stay that way so he can pour new wine to us any time he wants to pour it into. Because everybody's not going to reach. Everybody's not going to be reached the same way. The way we came into Christendom is not the way somebody else came in. So the way we think it's going to be, it doesn't have to be that way. Really. And so we have to be watchful what we pray against and all those type of things because we'll end up like Saul before he was Paul is we end up persecuting Jesus Christ. That's what we do. Persecuting Jesus Christ. The church Jesus Christ, he's trying to bring people off the streets, trying to bring them into the kingdom and here you got a leader in the church because that's what I was a leader. I was leading the church praying and, and, and moaning, groaning, and thinking that the leadership uh, has, uh, they need to get saved, you know, uh, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know, thinking all sorts of stuff with my Pharisaic heart. That's what it was. Yeah. And I could quote scripture, too, to, to, to what, the reason why those leaders were missing God, you know. Yeah. And need to listen to me. Yeah. <laughs> Aren't you glad that God doesn't leave us uh, bad? That (laughs) he sanctifies us with the truth. I'm so glad for grace. Oh, my God, I'm so glad for grace. 
And, and, and that's what he does. So every time you can know my car, because my car, I don't care what it's going to have on it, it's going to have a license plate of his grace. That's what it's going to say. Because it's a gospel of grace. Let's stand. Will you bow your heads and please, will the prayer team come up? Thank you. Would you pray with me, please? Father, in the name of Jesus, Father, we thank you for your grace, Lord. We thank you for the gospel of grace. We thank you, Father, we are not under the law. The law is not on top of us. We don't have to be concerned about the law. We have to be concerned about one thing, loving you. Love, 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 and loving our neighbors. Love, love, love. That's all we have to be concerned about, love. Father, today is a day that you have people sitting here that's just like I used to be, and they need your grace, Lord. They are not going to be able to uh, change that, that hard unless you change it, Lord. I was not able to do it. You did it for me, Lord. We're asking you to do that, Lord. There are people here today that need to turn from the things of the world and turn back to you, Lord. There are people here today that need salvation, Lord. We're asking you for these things, Lord. And if anybody here that's in any of those three categories, just ask the Lord, God, turn my heart from a a hardness against the new things that you're doing. Still scripture, but new things. God, I want to come back to you like the prodigal son. I want, to, I want to come back. I don't want to stay one foot in the world and one foot, you know, in Christendom. Living like the world. I don't want to do that, Lord. Just say that. You can just ask him, God, I know that I can't come to Jesus. I can't be saved. If I die today, I will go to hell. I know that. Because I was already told I can't be good enough. So therefore, it's about a relationship with you. God, I want a relationship with you. Save my soul. That's all you have to say. Save my, whoever call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Do that. Do that now. Doesn't take but 15 seconds at the most. Do it. And we give you glory for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, everybody say, Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Pastor Taylor and Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com, contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net, or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.